Um, if you're interested in the class trip to Israel, uh, y'all come on in. And, and if you need a lesson, by the way, uh, raise your hands. They'll pass them out while I say this. Uh, Mike and Debbie Riddle down here are going to have folks over from class for sandwiches next Sunday. If you're interested in going, it's a non-commitment thing. Come eat sandwiches just if uh, you're hungry uh, and have questions uh, uh, about the <laughs> Mike and Debbie feed the class. Um, actually, knowing them and how gracious they are, they would do that. But that's not the purpose of this lunch. Uh, the purpose of this one is to answer folks' questions to see if maybe this trip to Israel might be something for you or someone you love. Makes a wonderful Christmas present. Um, uh, please, uh, yeah, don't hesitate. To, if you need a lesson, raise your hand. Okay, were you there? Good. Um, this morning, church history literacy, we're going to talk about the Desert Father. We're going to be discussing the start of the hermit movement uh, within Christianity, and it actually starts in the time range of what we've been studying. So this is the right time to get started on it. Uh, in preparation for this class, Becky and I, uh, this last week, had a wonderful opportunity. Um, we went to a hermitage, which is a place for hermits. Um, uh, the it's Little Portion Hermitage is the name. It's in Arkansas, up in the Ozark Mountains, uh, just south of Missouri, real close to Branson, Missouri. And and we went there uh, to have lunch, and it was uh, uh, and to take a tour of the grounds and to visit there with one of with the one of the monks there. Um, the, the experience was really incredible. The, the, the hermitage is laid out with a central, several buildings, a central worship building, a central eating building. And then as you went out from there, there were gardens. And as you went out, there were cells or, or uh, uh, little uh, rooms, cells, but, but they would get further and further from the nucleus or the center of the hermitage. And the theory is is that uh, uh, at this hermitage, uh, you start out sort of staying close to everybody, but as you progress along the, the, the path, uh, you get further and further out. And uh, it, was, it was really fascinating. Um, while they live the life of solitude and contemplation, that doesn't mean they're totally removed from the world. Uh, they certainly have the calling as well to minister to people. And it's interesting, these uh, uh, hermits, if you will, or these uh, monks and, and, and stuff, they have a, a volunteer program where they just go find elderly people and they clean their houses. And they go out in the community and they uh, visit shut-ins and, and uh, they go to churches in the area and say, you know, this week we'd like to do some things for some of your people at your church who can't afford to do them for themselves. They're very active in, in engaging in service because they take three uh, vows. They take a vow of poverty. Um, uh, they don't own anything. What they have is all held in common. Uh, they take a vow of chastity. And they take a vow of obedience to uh, uh, the, the head guy and the, the structure that exists there. And ultimately, it's an obedience to God. And so it was a fascinating time to see what hermiting might be like here in the 21st century. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're in church history. So we're going to go way back. And we're going to start out asking this question. What is a hermit? 
Wrong hermit. Wrong hermit. Sorry. Okay, let's try this again. What is a hermit? Y'all remember that Herman's Hermits? Those of us who are old enough? I don't, but my older sister, Catherine, she had the record. Um, A hermit, if we go to the root of the word, is a desert dweller. See, the word hermit comes from the Greek word. um, Whoops, whoa, wait, there it is. Hey, that's a hermit. That's the guy we went to visit, by the way. Um, uh, that's me and Becky, and, and uh, 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 meeting this hermit. It comes from the Greek word arimete, um, which is, uh, 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 means literally a desert dweller, someone who's out in the desert. It comes from the, the Greek word for desert. And, and a hermit in the sense of church history, a hermit is someone who uh, uh, lives a life of relative solitude, not totally isolated, but relative solitude and ascetic living. By ascetic living, we mean self-denial. And they do this to find greater purity before God and fellowship before God. If you went to a hermit and said, where on earth did you get this from? The hermit might go to some biblical examples of how Jesus, before he went into his public ministry, went out for 40 days by himself uh, into the desert and into the wilderness. Uh, We'll read about Paul before he goes into his ministry, going and spending three years uh, in isolation and and contemplation and learning before God. And and so hermits are folks, uh, in fact, uh, the fellow that we were talking to explained that that some of the process for the hermits that that within the movement of which he's a part is to go off and, and first find enough alone time to learn how to think and to learn who God is before you go into ministry to try and teach others about God. And he, he doesn't claim it's the only way to do things, but he says that that is the approach that they use. The founder of the hermit movement is a fellow named St. Anthony. Life would be a whole lot easier if he had put an H in his name. <laughs> because when I typed the lesson, every time I type Anthony, my computer would shout, typo, 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 because it didn't have Anthony, evidently. Antony is not really a word. I used to represent a lot of people from southern Louisiana. And in southern Louisiana, you can put an H in it, and it's still Antony. But for us, it's Antony. That's not a typo. It's not Anthony. Okay? St. Antony is the founder of the hermit movement. And we read his life in a story that was written two years after he died by a fellow named Athanasius. It's uh, called The Life of St. Antony. Uh, I've brought uh, my volume up here. Uh, My volume that that I have is out of the Ancient Christian Writers series, which is a wonderful series. You can get them off Amazon.com cheaper than you can the publisher. But uh, uh, the the nice thing about these series is they're very, very readable, the translation of very ancient works. And so uh, uh, they've got a nice introduction in them. They're put out by uh, uh, the Paulist Press, which is a Catholic uh, 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 printing press, uh, and, and by and large, they're Catholic scholars that have put them together, but they've made them very ecumenical. They, they, they don't really, uh, uh, 
they're not written uh, to further the Catholic tradition. They're written in a scholarly way to further Christianity. And they come with great footnotes. And uh, uh, this is, a lot of this stuff we study, I wouldn't necessarily go spend my money on, okay? This is a book worth reading. Um, it's really interesting. The life of St. Antony was, was very unusual. His early life was unusual. And what I want to do, as we look at the Desert Fathers, in any Christian tradition, oh, heavens, why limit it to Christianity? In any tradition, you have extremists, right? I mean, you ever met a religious extremist? Yeah. You ever met a diet extremist? Uh, Debbie, Patricia, y'all are in politics. You ever meet extremists in politics? <laughs> she is one. <laughs> I didn't say that. She did. Uh, to me, she's mainstream. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> you find extremists in everything. You'll find extremists in the monk slash hermit tradition as well. Okay? And if you look at the extremists, you'll say these nut jobs were out there. Simon Stylites, about 150 years after this, is a guy who decides his calling is to live on a pillar 50 feet above the ground. And he goes up there and lives for the next 30, 40 years. He, you know, he'd drop a rope down and he'd pull up some bread. And uh, you know, there, there were some extremists in every movement. But what we want to do is we want to look at the father of the hermit movement, St. Anthony. And he was born around 250 BC, uh, AD. So he's born uh, prior to Constantine coming into power. But Constantine comes into power while Antony is alive and doing his work. And so um, um, uh, let's look at him. St. Antony was uh, an unusual fellow. He wasn't uh, an outgoing guy. When he was growing up, he was born in Upper Egypt, and when he was growing up, he didn't like to go out and about. He didn't like to go to school. He didn't go to school. Uh, he, uh, he was a homebody. He liked to stay around his parents. He had one sibling. He had a young sister, a very young sister. And when Antony was uh, somewhere between 17 and 20, we don't know exactly where because his biographer, Athanasius, says... He's somewhere between 17 and 20. <laughs> so Athanasius didn't know either. But uh, somewhere between 17 and 20, uh, uh, Antony's parents both died. And Antony inherited uh, uh, what they had. They were very well-to-do. So he came into a really nice inheritance. He had like 207 acres of really good farmland in Egypt on the Nile. And uh, uh, that was a lot of land back then that produced a lot of food. And, and uh, uh, he he's inherits this, and he inherits the responsibility of taking care of his little sister somewhere between the age of 17 and 20. Um, Antony is a, a, a church-going fellow. His parents were Christians. They raised him as a Christian. And after their death, he's walking down the road, and he's headed to church one day. And while he's headed to church, Antony's thinking to himself, you know, my life is very different than the life of, of the people I read about in the Bible. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, talks about how foxes have places to lay their head, but the Son of Man didn't. He thought about how the apostles sold everything they had and held it in common. 
thought about how Jesus told his followers, just don't even own two coats, just own one and, and use it to go out there. And as he's thinking about this, he goes to church and at church, have you ever been there when the preacher has delivered a sermon and it just seemed directed right at you? Okay, that's what happened to him. Antony's there, and it wasn't the sermon, it was the gospel reading. Here's what it was. It's from Matthew 19, 21. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. The rich young ruler had come to Jesus and asked him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, be perfect, <laughs> in essence. You, know, you, you want to do something to inherit eternal life, then follow the law. Do it all perfectly. Uh, I think Jesus was trying to drive the man to his knees to say, well, I'll never be able to do that. God have mercy on me. Um, uh, the man had a very pompous response, the rich young man to Jesus. The rich young man said to Jesus, well, I've already done that. I mean, if you want to keep the law perfect, that's me. And, of course, we know he hadn't. Jesus is able to pierce to the heart because part of the law says to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus pointed that man uh, uh, to the truth of the law when he said, well, then go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. And the man goes away sorrowful because he had a lot of goods and he could not love his neighbor as himself. I think what Jesus was trying to do in that situation was to drive that man to his knees to say, then God have mercy on me because I'm... I can't do that. And Jesus says, oh, okay, well, that's another way to get eternal life, but it's not you earning it. It's God having mercy on you. And uh, uh, that, I believe, is the thrust of the story. But that's not what uh, uh, Antony heard that day when he went to church. What Antony heard was, you were thinking about this on the way to church. If you want to be perfect or mature, the Greek word doesn't mean necessarily absolutely perfect. It means mature or ripe. Uh, if you want to be grown up about it, um, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. So you know what he did? He left church and he took his farmland and he sold it and he gave the money to the poor. He left church and he took almost all of his possessions and he gave them away to the poor. He kept only enough to take care of his little sister. Everything else he gave away. A little bit later, he's going back to church. And this time when he's walking to church, the scripture is, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And this is Jesus in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is saying, in essence, you know, you, you worry about what you're going to eat. You worry about what you're going to wear. You ought to think about the lilies that are, the flowers that are out in the field. They don't worry. And look how beautiful they are. They don't sit around and make their own clothes. God clothes them. And you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat and drink. And you don't need to be worried about tomorrow. What you need to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of this will be added to you. And that's what Jesus says. And so uh, at that point, uh, Antony had a change of heart. He decided he'd really messed up by saving back some things to take care of his little sister. So Anthony proceeds to sell everything he has, give all the money away to the poor. All Anthony's got left are the clothes on his back. And uh, he takes his little sister and he puts her in the care of Parthenos, 
uh, Parthenon, uh, which is a Greek word that means uh, virgins. And uh, most likely, this may be the first reference to nuns, uh, uh, or what become ultimately nuns, but it's basically Christian women who, instead of marrying, have dedicated themselves to God and celibacy. And so they're virgins for life, and they live together in some grouping and community. And what Antony does is he takes his little sister, uh, uh, and he puts her in the care of these women, and Antony uh, proceeds to uh, hit the road. And he goes out of town, into the desert, right outside of town. And what he does is he says, I am going to be an ascetic. Ascetic, of course, meaning the practice of, of a, a very rigorous, a very um, hard uh, self-discipline and self-denial as a way of growing up spiritually. It's not the idea that the body's bad, necessarily. Later on, some extremists will take it that way. But it's more the idea that, that the physical often gets in the way of the spiritual. And you've got to get control of your body before your spirit can really um, uh, blossom into what it needs to be before God. And so that's what he did. And there were some other guys who were out there who didn't own anything that he went to and he sought their advice. Um, uh, I pulled a, a page of what he learned from others uh, uh, off of the book. And this is the way Athanasius... By the way, Athanasius, who wrote this biography, I should tell you, um, he was a friend. He wrote it just two years after the death of, of uh, Antony. In fact, when Antony dies, Antony's only possession is his clothes, his cloak, and he gives that, he wills it back to Athanasius because it was Athanasius who originally gave it to him. Um, so uh, he says uh, that Antony observed the graciousness of one and decided, I want to be gracious. Antony observed the earnestness at prayer in another and said, I want to be earnest in my prayer. He studied the even temper of one. Now, as I go through this, I want to pause for a minute and say that there are some lessons I've, I've really internalized from this for me. Because uh, uh, I think there's real merit in finding role models in Christ. I want our young people to grow up with spiritual mentors. That's something I pray about for my children. I pray that there will be spiritual mentors in their lives who, who they can look up to and, and learn from. Uh, that's one blessing that I've had growing up in a Christian home. It's one reason we, we want our kids around uh, our mothers so much because our, our fathers aren't alive, but our mothers are such wonderful examples for our children in so many different ways. And the scripture says older women teach the younger women. This is very appropriate. So I look at this and I think, how nice that someone studies the even temper of one, studies the kind-heartedness of another, fixes his attention on the vigils kept by one. A vigil is when you would stay up at night instead of going to sleep. And you would sacrifice sleep just out of desire to be prayerful and to find God and, to, and in the silence of the night find that time with him. Um, uh, the studies pursued by another. Admired one for his patient endurance another for his fasting and sleeping on the ground. Watch closely this man's meekness and the, the patience or forbearance shown by another. And in one and all alike, he marked especially devotion to Christ and the love they had for one another. And that's what he did. Now, are you, you, know, you sit there and say, well, what would he do with his days? 
Yeah, he sold everything he's got. Well, one thing he did, he, he would work, by the way. Uh, while he was by himself, you know, off in solitude, he would still work. He would make baskets because he recognized Paul had written in Thessalonians, if a man will not work, he won't eat. But whatever he was working at was something where he could pray all the time. And then he would take his goods, his baskets or whatever he had made, and he would go to the marketplace and he would sell them. And with the money, he'd buy bread. And any money left over, he'd give it to the poor because he didn't want any possessions. And this is the way he'd interface. I'll bet he had a great ministry with poor people. I mean, that's the kind of guy you want to hang around if you're poor. It's kind of like going over to the Riddles next Sunday for lunch. <laughs> As you read the book, it's interesting to see what happens in his life. A great deal of this book is devoted toward what, what uh, uh, I, I call demonology. Um, uh, this is a hard-to-see picture, but I couldn't find a better one. Uh, this is, there are lots of famous paintings of, and etchings of St. Antony because he's a, a, an incredible person within the history of the church. He is a significant fella. Um, but this is St. Antony, and these are uh, demonic uh, beings. And he's kind of up there lecturing them, and they're cowered in fear before him. Um, the way Athanasius saw it, Athanasius said Satan could not bear to see such resolution in a young man, so Satan resorted to his usual tactics to try and uh, uh, get a hold of Antony. Uh, the way both Antony and Athanasius saw it, Satan is created or, or, by God Good. He wasn't created evil. Satan came upon evil by himself through his pride. And, and Satan falls and falls from the presence of God for eternity. And, and then the, the teaching from them was that Satan and his demons, which fell with him, uh, so despise God and recognize from what great a height they have fallen that the last thing in the world they want is for any of us to spend time in the company of God for eternity. They would rather, misery loves company, they would rather see, uh, uh, they don't want us to get what they lost, in essence. And so Satan resorted to his usual tactics. And uh, what were the tactics? Uh, well, let me go back before I go to overdrive. The, the basic tactics were... Um, uh, don't you miss your family? Don't you miss people? You don't have to be this resolute before God. You don't have to be this. this I mean, you don't have to keep this commitment. You've gone a little way overboard anyway, haven't you? Isn't it okay just to back off a little? I know you said to God, I'm going to do this. Now, I know somebody who said to God, I'm not going to miss church if the doors are open on a Sunday. Well, you know, you may have said that, but God's, don't be a legalist. You know, you want to miss. It's a good Sunday to miss. It's not going to, you know, demand's gone. Who's it going to be? Yeah, you can miss. Or maybe you've made a commitment to God not to do uh, uh, this, that, and the other. Uh, commitment not to drink alcohol. Oh, come on. Didn't Jesus turn the water into wine? Hey, a little alcohol is good for the stomach. Paul said that to Timothy. And, uh, you know, but, but yet you've made this commitment before God. And, and, and so, so Satan goes to work on him and tries to, to play the little mind games to get him to change. But it doesn't work. 
uh, uh, Antony is, is real fervent. I mean, this guy's like out there uh, focused on this and nothing else in his life. And what he does is he prays and he affirms God and he commands Satan to leave him. And Satan would leave him. And the demons and the temptations would leave him only to come back almost immediately uh, as they are wont to do. So when Satan's not getting there with his usual tactics, that's when he goes into overdrive. And his overdrive uh, uh, is uh, filthy thoughts suggested. Not only filthy thoughts, but uh, Satan would try to incite lust in his mind. And again, this is uh, not fruitful uh, uh, because uh, Antony learns through prayer, through singing and praising God, and through his faith to deny those thoughts and to replace them in his brain with thoughts of praise and adoration of God. And it's an incredible thing. The tactics, uh, uh, here's my screen of tactics. I had missed it. Uh, pleasures of eating is another one. Satan would say, you know, don't you miss those steaks? Ice cream, Whataburger with the, <laughs> with the jumbo shake, the bucket size. Money. Think about it. Think of all the good you could do with the money. You're just making little baskets and helping a few poor people. If you had enough money, you could help a lot of poor people. And uh, isn't it kind of cool? And fame. Wouldn't it be cool to be famous? You're not going to be famous out here in the desert. You're not going to be famous all by yourself, feeding, eating you know, just bread and water and a little bit of salt. That's not going to get you famous. And, you know, there are basic comforts of life. Uh, now, I'm convinced that this worked in the desert of Egypt, but if Antony had lived here, he probably could never have done it. The mosquitoes alone would have ended it right there. Okay? But he's in a place, a little different climate, but even still, he's got the desert heat, and he's got the cold at night, and he doesn't have a bed, and they got to have some equivalent of mosquitoes, desert mites or something. Who? Frogs? Crawlies. Scorpions. Yeah. I'm spiders. Um, but all of this, Antony overcomes with faith, prayer, and fasting. Um, uh, and so uh, we have that. Antony says the following. He said, all who fight in earnest can say, it's not I, it's God's grace within me. And, and here's what, what he means by that. He means, you know, I've overcome great struggles with Satan. But honestly, no one should ever give me any praise and glory and credit. Because it really wasn't me that did it. It was God that did it. And, and Antony was real clear that the victory we have over Satan, we have because Jesus Christ defeated him on the cross. And we have no right to ever be proud of what we have done, but we have every right in the world to stand in the power of Jesus. Because it is Jesus who beat Satan on the cross that means Satan has no power over us and we are able to win the war. Uh, another weapon, as I mentioned to you, that he used was song. And it was interesting, the songs he sang 
came from the Psalms in the Bible. One of them was Psalm 27.3. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Now, I got to tell you, um, I don't consider myself a fearful person, per se, but uh, things go bump in the night. And uh, I'd have like Zippo desire to go out in the desert by myself and spend the rest of my life coming in and meeting people. Yeah, he wasn't in total solitude, but, but I, did you see the movie Deliverance? Okay, evil things happen out there. There are bad people and bad things can happen, okay? And uh, I can see why this might be one of the psalms I'd want to sing. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Let me give you another psalm he's saying. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. And this is a man who has given up all of his possessions in his life. Who spends his days doing no more than praying all day long, counseling those and serving those who come to him, and struggling against uh, demons. Now, there were periods of times where uh, um, Antony did not have regular interaction with people. He went through a time where he had a friend of his seal him up in a tomb. And he just wanted to be in the darkness of the tomb for a long time. He'd come out for food periodically, but he was all by himself in the darkness of the tomb, day and night, day and night, day and night, weeks on end, struggling, trying to find his position before God and struggling in battle with Satan. And it's, a, uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, here's what he said. He said, quoting Paul, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our real struggle is against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. It's against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly realms. And he really believed that. And that was his struggle day in, day out. That was his fight. You know, he wasn't worried about um, what he was going to eat. He wasn't worried about his job. He wasn't worried about his boss. He, he surely wasn't worried about the Astros. He surely wasn't worried about the World Cup. He wasn't worried about uh, retirement. His concern each day was, today I'm going to struggle against Satan. And how am I going to fare in that struggle? Will I claim the victory that Jesus has? Or will I cower in defeat? He uh, wasn't big on cowering in defeat. His view of Satan and demons was that they really have no power over Christians beyond uh, scaring them and tricking them. What Satan has the ability to do is to trick you and to scare you. He says, go back to Job. Satan doesn't just go out and take everything from Job. Satan first has to go ask God for permission, right? Now, we read the Job story. And a lot of us, when we read it, we think, you know... I really have a problem with God here. This is so unfair for God to allow Satan to take these precious things from Job. Do you ever, am I the only one? Okay, maybe I am. But, you know, I read that and I think, oh, I can, uh, uh, yeah. That never crosses his mind by what we read at least because he didn't have anything. Okay, he's already given everything away. His parents are dead. He gave his sister to the nuns. 
So he's given everything he has to the poor. So it's not like Satan's going to come at him and take his house or his car or his job or his food or his retirement account, his 401k. Satan's not coming for any of that. Guy doesn't have any of it. All Satan can do is come against him in his heart, his mind, his spirit. And uh, that's where he, he says uh, that uh, demons don't really have any power because Jesus has taken it from them, and they know that. They'll come and they'll frighten you, and they'll try to put thoughts in your head, and they'll try to incite you to, to anger or to lust or to any number of different sins, but the line is there. They really can't do anything more than that. Can they hurt you physically? Not without God's permission. He says, that's the lesson of Job. And if God gives a permission, then you'd be fine with it because that's a God who died for you. He's looking out for you enough to die for you. You don't need to worry about it. And so this was his position. He says, I don't think demons have real powers. So here's this guy. He's out in the desert. And one night, do you know what he finds? He's doing a vigil and he finds himself surrounded by a pack of hyenas with their mouths open. Okay, this is why there are guns, <laughs> if you're me. Okay. But I'm not St. Anthony. I'm far from that man, and, and that may be why I respect him so much. Here's what he says to the pack of hyenas. He recognizes them as, you know, here it is. If you've received the power to eat me, I'm ready. But if you've been sent by demons and you haven't gotten the power to eat me and you're here to frighten me or to cower me, and to, then get away because I'm Christ's servant. And you don't have any power over me. Oh, man, that's just, I mean, it sends a chill down my spine. Someone breaks into my house. Someone's got me at gunpoint. Oh, I pray that I would have the fortitude to look at them and say, if you've been given power to do this to me, then go ahead. I'm ready to meet my Lord. But if you've been sent by Satan, you get out of here right now. Because I'm Christ's servant. Because if God's given someone the power to take my life, then my life is gone and I am his servant. And that's true whether it's a disease or whether it's a hyena or whether it's someone who's breaking in or whether it's someone who's threatening what I own or what I thought I owned or someone's threatening my faith. If God's given them the power to do it, then so be it. It is well with my soul. But if it's from Satan, without God's power, then it needs to get out by the authority of Jesus Christ because I'm his servant. He said, uh, you know, demons don't really have real power anyway, like we think they do. He says they're not nearly as powerful as we think. He says, for example, some demons tried to trap uh, Antony by fortune telling. They said, came to him as a fortune teller, said, I'm a fortune teller. I'm going to tell you the future so that you can learn to trust me and uh, you'll see the power I have. And Antony kind of yawns and keeps making his baskets or whatever he's doing. And the fortune teller says, for example, Brother John, I made the name up, Brother John is going to come visit you tomorrow and he's going to bring you some bread. And the next day, Brother John shows up with some bread. Now, a lot of people say, wow, 
the fortune teller is right. Um, Antony said, nah, hogwash. He says, demons really exist, right? So he says, demons don't walk the way we do. Brother John left two days ago to bring me the bread and told everybody, I'm going to take this bread to Antony out in the desert. He said, don't you think the demons heard that? And they make much better time than Brother Antony because they're not walking. They fly through the air. So they got here in time yesterday to, to talk through this fortune teller to tell me what was going on. He said, I'm not going to be deceived by that. And uh, he said, I'm not going to do it at all. Now, he lived, as I told you, a very sparse life. He would eat bread, he would drink water, and he would eat salt. Occasionally fruits and vegetables. Never meat, never wine, never any luxury food. And uh, his uh, conditions, that, that was his house. He would sleep on the ground. Occasionally, his was his reason, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Occasionally, he'd sleep on a, a mat made of rushes. But generally, he would just sleep on the ground. For 20 years, he went into seclusion. Uh, this was another one of his sayings. I'm sorry. The soul's energy thrives when the body's desires are feeblest. And so that's why God commands us to fast. He says, when you shut down some of the body's uh, desires or, or, or make the body feeble, your, your soul just it grows. It's, it's alive, not grows. It, it, it thrives, and you can tune into it better. And so that's what he did. For 20 years, he went into seclusion. And uh, this is a, a painting that uh, I don't know how well you can see it. It's not actually a painting of him, but it's a painting of that era. Uh, this was painted in the 800s sometime later. But this is uh, uh, Mount Sinai is that guy up in the top of the mountain uh, uh, he was a, a monk that comes years later named Climacus, which means ladder, because he had to get up into the cave through a ladder and he dropped down a, a, a rope and people would hand him bread when he was in his thought time, his seclusion time of contemplation. But down here in the lower left-hand corner, you'll see another monk who's uh, uh, just uh, in a little building with a window and you'd have to get in through the window. And that's what these guys would do. They would, the, uh, Antony and, and others who were out there, because he was attracting a huge following. Uh, Antony would uh, uh, go into these uh, old abandoned buildings and just be there all by himself. And, and one time he spent 20 years in seclusion doing this. Now he'd talk to people, but it'd be through the door. Because people would come to him. They'd ask him for advice. They'd ask him for counsel. They'd ask him for wisdom. They'd ask him for... And he supposedly had some incredible insight. Um, between Antony and Constantine... Uh, the monastic life just took off in Egypt. It became a really big deal. Now, why do I throw Constantine in there? At this point, Constantine's the emperor. He's made Christianity legal while uh, Antony's been out in the desert. Once Christianity becomes not only legal, but becomes the preferred religious institution, if you want to get advancement in the Roman Empire, all of a sudden, every Tom, Dick, and Harry starts going to church. And before the churches were filled with people who recognized they could be killed for being there. And it took some pretty fierce dedication. But kind of the standards got dropped when it became a place for social advancement. 
then all of a sudden it's, uh, there's a different reason for showing up and a lot of different people showed up. And a lot of the old guard who said, hold it, hold it, hold it. We have some serious problem with these people who are coming in, calling themselves Christians and being a part of this, who really aren't any more dedicated to the Lord than the man in the moon. They're looking for economic advancement in this world. Said, we're, 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 we like that old guy. And so they'd go out in the wilderness and they'd start taking up this type of a thing. This is an old painting as well, but it's a whole bunch of different monks out there. And it got to the point where so many monks were out there that the monks would come together and they'd work together as a community, but they'd still have their individual cells. That became a monastery. And uh, 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 Antony was the teacher of the monks. And when he was asked to teach the monks, he said, well, the scriptures are adequate for our instruction. You want to know what to do? Read your Bible. He says, however, like any other good preacher, I will elucidate a little bit. He says, first of all, start each day brand new. Start over each day. And each day you wake up, say, this is a brand new day for me. And today my zeal for God and my commitment to God and my work for God is going to be greater than it's ever been before. And then it doesn't matter how bad it's been before because you say right now today, my commitment for God and my zeal for Him will be more than it's ever been before. And he says, do that each day. Do that each day. He also said each day, just imagine this is the last day you're going to live. He says that's a really good way to keep from becoming a money grubber. I mean, honestly, if you're going to die this afternoon, how important is it that you get to the mall to get the latest shoes? i got to teach that to my daughters. <laughs> he says, the whole world, the entire world, everything that is in it is a very trifling thing, a minor thing compared to all of heaven. He says, so I'm going to live my life for all of heaven. He says, you give me the whole world, and it's a rounding error compared to what I'm living my life for. He says, by the way, because of this, a true ascetic or a real man, <laughs> if we take today's term, never boasts. Because what we have for value, you know, he says it's not like we really gave up anything. How can I walk around haughty and say, look at me, I'm an ascetic. I gave up the world to live this holy life for God. He says, give me a break. What you gave up is nothing compared to what you're getting in heaven. So don't walk around bragging, acting like you're some Lord High Muckety Muck because you're an ascetic and you've given up uh, uh, these things. He says, you got no reason for boasting. He says, the earthly things disappear anyway, money, goods, things like that. He says, so don't spend your life trying to accumulate those. Go for justice. Go for understanding. Go for charity. Go for loving poor people and helping them. Go for meekness. Go for hospitality. Here's a guy who's a monk who wants solitude, who is one of the most hospitable persons I've ever read about. People would come to him and he would give them his last loaf of bread and he'd sit down and talk to them for hours and, and he would share with them what he knew. Whether they were Christian or not, you can read about his encounters with Greeks who came to him. Um, hospitality, faith. He says, that's what you need to spend your time and energy trying to get. He says, sing psalms. Sing the psalms. Put them to music. Put them to music yourself. Chant them. Rap them. Hey, y'all listen to rap music? Doesn't really have a melody. That's an easy way to sing the psalms. You just got to do the boom, boom, ch, boom, boom, ch. 
And then you start going in with the psalm. Okay? Um, he says, memorize scripture. Stick it in your... I mean, this guy's not walking around with a bunch of books. He doesn't own any. He's committing it to memory. Memorize scripture. Flee conceit and pray all the time. Then, I love this. Constantine, the emperor, hears about him and writes him a letter. Not just Constantine, but two of his sons, too. And they write him a letter asking him uh, basically to you know, tune him into what's going on. And everybody's a buzz. Can you imagine if you got a letter, a personal letter, handwritten by the pen of President Bush and the First Lady? They both signed it. If you got that letter, wouldn't you? And, and not, not just like, uh, thanks for your contribution of $100,000 to my campaign. I'm talking about a real personal letter that says, I was reading about you in the newspaper. I'm blown away by what you've done. I think it's absolutely incredible. I just want to tell you I'm proud of you. And, and I would love to get your counsel and advice sometime because you seem to be a wise person. So everybody's just buzzed. He got a letter from the emperor. He got the first Christian emperor in the history of the world. He got a letter. And he wasn't even going to answer it until people said, you know, you don't really want to tick the guy off. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't look good for the movement, you know, of Christianity. Here is guy's first Christian emperor. He writes you a letter and you don't want... And he says, well, okay, I'll write him back. But he says, it doesn't surprise me that I got a letter from the emperor. I'm not shocked. I'm not overwhelmed. There's no awe here. He says, don't be surprised that the emperor wrote to you. You be surprised that God wrote his law and not only wrote but spoke to you through his son. He says, that's what, that's something that, that's what I'm surprised at. I'm, a, I'm almost 100 years old and I can't get over that yet. Um, he was a miracle worker. He, uh, God used him to do a lot of healings, as you read the book at least. That's what it says. Uh, I say or not because anytime he'd do a healing, he'd say, this isn't me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. God's doing it. And he would never take credit for it. He dies, um, and when he dies, uh, uh, he doesn't want anybody to know where he's going to be buried. And so they bury him, and then promptly, uh, like uh, so many wishes that we have, uh, build a monastery over his bones so everybody knows where he is. It's called St. Antony's Monastery, and it was built, uh, I think, started about the year he died. Um, so, points for home. By the way, he lived to be 105 almost. I think it's got something to do with all the exercise and not eating meat. Um, you can find people in the Bible, Elijah, Moses, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, who before their ministry or at critical times in their ministry, not only went away for quiet time during the day, but, but went away for volumes of time. Jesus did it in 40 days, but if he knocks it out in 40 days, it can take some of us longer. It took Paul three years. Elijah was out for longer than that. Moses was out for longer than that. John the Baptist was a wilderness. You know, there is something to be said about us taking time to get our head on right with God. And that doesn't always happen in the crowded hustle of radio, TV, newspapers, church, driving, commuting, family, work, and everything else. Um, because ultimately what we got to get into our brain is uh, to seek first his kingdom. To seek first his righteousness and not be so worried about all the other things because they really will be taken care of. Uh, I wonder how much of my life is at odds with some of what Jesus taught us to be. 
And this causes me to, you know, I, I think to some degree that this type of a, of a fierce dedication, and I'm not talking about the extremists, because they were, the, you know, climbing on, the, you know, removing yourself from society is the last thing in the world that we should be doing as Christians. We are the salt of the earth. We're to engage society. We're to permeate it. We're to flavor it. We're to secure it. We're, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But, but, the other side of that coin and the balance of it is, is there really is something to, we need to take time to get our priorities straight. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the water. If I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear. Don't be afraid. There's nothing we have to fear. God is on our side. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no fears. Because if something has been empowered by God to affect you, then it's going to happen and God's going to work through it. And if it's not, then in the name of Jesus, you command it out of your life. And don't let it scare you. Because that's Satan's biggest tool is to frighten us and worry us and concern us over things that he has no power to do. So throw off everything that hinders us and let's run the race that's in front of us as Christians with none of the fears and none of the worries that Satan puts on us. Last question. Have you had your quiet time? If Antony does nothing else for us, he should move us to say, starting today, I'm not going to let another day go by without some alone, quiet time with my God. Study his word, Commit it to memory. Sing his psalms. Wrap them if you want to. Pray continually. Pray with me now. Lord, I ask your blessings on everybody, and I ask you to take care of everybody. And I thank you for the inspiration we have uh, from the life of Antony. Uh, uh, but moreover, Father, I thank you for speaking to us through your son that, that made his life possible and that makes incredible changes in our lives possible. And I pray that you will bless us with faith in what you can do in us if we cast ourselves upon you. Take care of people who are scared. Take care of the fears and give peace to everyone in this building who knows you as their Lord. In Jesus, I pray, amen.